This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I'm great. So excited for the big dance. Oh, man, I just got back from the prom. It was incredible. Really? A little bit creepy. A little bit? I'm not in high school, but it was a good, it was a good time. <laughs> oh, you're one of those, aren't you? <laughs> What can Should I say? I call someone like the What can police? I say? I had a date. She was really excited about it. I was like, sure, I'll go. Someone offer you to her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. As always, people can subscribe to the show on iTunes and email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know. What was your prom like? <laughs> was it better than the one in Carrie? Call and let us know. <laughs> that sounds like a radio show now. <laughs> Tell us your worst prom stories for two tickets to see Gary. <laughs> <laughs> this is part two of episode number 69 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Carrie. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one of this episode. I should also point out that in addition to spoiling this version of Carrie, we will probably also be spoiling the 1976 version of Carrie directed by Brian De Palma. So if you don't want that version spoiled, uh, go watch that movie and then come back and listen. But uh, before we get started, I am pleased to introduce a special guest. You can hear him discussing Homeland with me every week on The Briefing Room on Film Geek Radio. Charlie Nash, welcome back to Cinema Fix. Hey, thanks for having me on, you guys. I'm uh, glad to see you guys are uh, safe outside because I arrived at the prom a little late and uh, the whole high school's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I'm just glad to see that you guys are okay because, like, I hear, you know, a lot of screaming and uh, uh, for some reason I see items floating through the windows and it doesn't make a lot of sense, so. I uh, I, I wouldn't know anything about that. Mm -mm. Nope. Mm. Nothing. <laughs> All right. Before we talk about Carrie, here is a clip. He's not coming. It's a trick. You see, Mama? You see, it's all going to be okay. Oh, repent. It's not too late. Mama, don't ruin this for me. I'll be home early. I'm going to have to tell that boy the truth. That your father took me and you were born in sin. Mama. And from that sin... Well, that sin was born another, the worst sin. A man or a woman who is a witch among you is to be put to death. You are to stone them. I'm warning you, Mama. The devil's hand. Please don't do this. There will be a judgment. Carrie, Stezabel fell from the tower. Oh, 
right, Charlie. One of the main reasons I'm I'm glad that we have you on, even though I'm sure you and Monica are about to gang up on me in our in our discussion of this film, the 1976 version of Carrie is your favorite horror film, right? Definitely one of them. I'd say it's possibly my favorite horror film. It's tied with uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining from 1980. I read Carrie the book when I was about 12 or 13. I saw Brian De Palma's original 1976 film when I was 14, and I've seen it multiple times. I'm a big De Palma fan, and I consider Carrie to be his masterpiece along with uh, Blowout. It's definitely one of my favorite coming-of-age films. It's definitely one of my favorite horror films, and uh, I have a very, 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 very high opinion of it the original film so yes <laughs> okay i just want to establish before we start talking about the remake that you're a little bit biased because it's, it's like <laughs> oh i will not deny that i'm a little bit biased but let Only me but, but let me clear this up um so i'm not a big fan of horror remakes i did not like the remake of texas chainsaw massacre i did not like the remake of friday the 13th i did not like the remake of nightmare on elm street but i have been forced to eat my words at times Another Chloe Moretz remake that I started dissing before it even was released in the theaters was Let Me In, which came out uh, a mere two years after the original Swedish film Let the Right One In, which was one of my favorite films of that year. And I have to admit that when I saw the advertisements for it, I was already dissing it, which is not fair. Yet I saw the film and I had never been more embarrassed to talk crap about a film in my life because... I felt that that film, directed by Matt Reeves, who's also done Cloverfield, really added some new elements to the story that added to the complexity of the themes. And I felt like he had new ideas. He had different shots. He played around with different thematic elements of that film that I found to be really intriguing. So, yes, I'm not a huge fan of horror remakes, but I've been proven wrong. And uh, Kimberly Pierce, who directed this remake of Carrie, directed one of my favorite films of the 1990s, Boys Don't Cry, in which Hilary Swank won an Oscar. And it's one of my favorite films. It's so heartbreaking and so powerful. And I think Kimberly Pierce is an immensely talented filmmaker. So I was really looking forward to this remake, especially considering that Julianne Moore is one of my favorite actresses. I like Chloe Moritz. I like Judy Greer. I was hoping for this film to be good. Okay, well, before we move on, you, I, I think you, you brought up a good place to start this discussion. You brought up the remake of Let the Right One In. You brought up Let Me In. That's another film that in many ways stays very, very close to the original movie, even going as far as to copy to a certain extent the look and the cinematography of the original film. So my question for you, assuming you don't really like this remake of Carrie, is... What did Let Me In do that you don't think this remake of Carrie does? I feel like Let Me In altered some scenes in terms of uh, the composition of how they were shot and how they were executed. There's a car crash scene in Let Me In that I found to be really terrifying. There are little moments where Chloe Moritz, who is the vampire in Let Me In, is eating someone like literally and uh cody smith mcgee is very very disturbed by this and yet he's in love with her or has affectionate feelings for her and there's a shot in that film that isn't in the original film in which he shuts the door to let her finish killing and little things like that added to the atmosphere and the 
intensity and um, the disturbing level of the theme of that original story. I feel like Let Me In carries the themes of the original film and in some new and interesting ways. I don't think it's nearly the masterpiece that Let the Right One In was. But I think that it definitely changed how I look at American remakes of foreign films. It changed my outlook on remakes in general. It might not have added a whole lot, but it, it was different. It wasn't exactly shot for shot. And uh, I feel like the performances were so strong and that the themes of that film were so relevant that for American audiences that it was worth looking at. But I feel like this new version of Carrie just has very little to offer. I honestly don't think it adds anything at all to De Palma's uh, original film. I don't think that it brings justice to King's novel, especially considering that Carrie by Brian De Palma, the 1976 original, is on Netflix Watch Instantly. It's free for Amazon Prime members. And even if you want to buy it on DVD, it's probably like $7.99 at Newbury Comics. And it's hard for me to say, go spend 12 bucks to go see this newer, but not as good version of this beloved story that I love so much, when you have much more free or cheaper access to the original film that portrays this story better. Not to mention, even if you want to talk about uh, having an intense experience in the theater where you're filled with dread and anxiety, I feel like Gravity and Captain Phillips are much more deserving of the 12 or $13 that you would pay to see this film in the theater. So, Well, I'm going to argue with you just a little bit there, Charlie, and say I don't think it's quite fair to bash Carrie just by saying, oh, well, there's better, better stuff in theaters now that you could see. I think, obviously, when you're dealing with a movie like this, it's hard to resist comparing it to the 1976 film, especially since... It steals from that film so Dude, there's much. There's a royalty check involved. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, I had to do extra research before this review to make sure because the new screenplay was written by Robert Aguirre uh, Sesa, who did the Spider-Man uh, Broadway musical. He also did three episodes of Big Love and four episodes of Glee, but it also credited Lawrence D. Cohen's in the IMDb page, and I had to double check to make sure that he didn't add to this new screenplay. I think he's honestly credited because they take some scenes line for line, shot for shot, from the original version. Or a lot of the publicity has advertised this film as being more faithful to the book. And as someone who's read the book, I did read it when I was like 12 or 13, so it's been maybe over a decade. But why should I say go spend more money to see a lesser version of a cinematic story when... The older version, which is better, is more available for free and also cheaper even if you have to spend money on it. I think that's a fair point, but also I think it's important to say just because you might not want to spend that much money on it right now doesn't necessarily mean that later in the future, when it's cheaper, it's not worth checking out. I mean, in all honesty... So when it's in oh, the two ninety nine bin, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can go check it out, guys. Exactly. Like, if it's in the three ninety nine bin at Newberry Comics... If it's a uh, buy one, get one free in Thanksgiving <laughs> next year. I mean, I would say go see it in theaters, personally. What's it at in theaters? I will... I will okay, I'm going to get to what I think this movie does well. I was going to say, why don't you just set it up and Charlie and I will... Destroy it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna get to I'm gonna get to what I think this movie does well in a minute. But the last thing I want to say is that this movie actually got me thinking a lot when I was writing my review of it, just about remakes in general and the idea of remakes. 
and it, it sticks so close to the original film. I was kind of like, well, that kind of sucks. But then I was like, wait, so many things stick so close to the original text. I mean, if you want to talk plays, going back to like Shakespeare and stuff, how many film adaptations have there been of Romeo and Juliet? At this point, and they're all largely the same because the Romeo and Juliet that's out right now is doing so well in theaters. But well, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying in general. <laughs> uh, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying in general, you can remake a movie and stick close to the original text or the original thing that you're basing it on. And that doesn't necessarily make it a bad film. We don't criticize a version of Romeo and Juliet for copying Shakespeare's words. We say, oh, it's actually a good thing that you copied that. No, but I have read in other instances where they say they repeat, like, this scene, this way that it's shot. Like, I'm thinking in Hamlet, the one of the comparing the Mel Gibson performance to the Laurence Olivier performance from the 40s. I definitely saw writings about that. And how they compared the two and they have, would have like them going up the stairs at the same time. Well, see, that's my point. My point is that when it comes to remakes like this, especially movies that stick so close to the original or to, to another version of the same material, I don't think it's necessarily fair just to say, oh, it copies it so it's bad. I think what you mean, what the big difference is if you copy the cinematic language of how you frame the story. If you're using the shot-for-shot remake sort of a charge here like we are with Carrie, it means that it's sticking really close to the Palma, the De- Palma entry, not just Stephen King's story, but the way that we saw it before. We're not seeing the story anew. We're re-watching it. Yeah, in my opinion, this feels like you can listen to I Am the Walrus by the Beatles on like a vinyl record privately with a friend in an apartment. Or you can go to a bar and hear a friend drunkenly sing I Am the Walrus at karaoke. And, uh, like, that's what the remake of Carrie feels like to me. It feels like a sloppy, workmanlike, personality-free film. And it's hard for me to say that it's worth spending a- more money to go seek I'm out not, this okay, I'm not talking version. about whether or not it's worth spending money on. I'm talking about is there anything artistically here worth talking about or that's worthwhile? And I think that, yes, there is. And I think that this script actually does some things better than the De Palma film does, even though aesthetically it's largely, as you mentioned, personality-free. I do think that there are some small improvements made, and there are little t- tiny differences and they that do be. have some interesting implications. Okay, okay, so let's, let's dive into it. <laughs> First of all, I want to talk about Carrie, as a character, because I feel like this Carrie is much different from the De Palma film. Yes. Not in a good way, though. I disagree. All right, say your piece. I think this is actually a more intellectually interesting version of the character. It lacks kind of the emotional extremes of the De Palma character. Like, if you look at uh, Carrie in the De Palma film and the way Sissy Spacek performs it, that character is just fundamentally broken and fundamentally damaged. And she's reacting in ways that almost seem just like gut reactions outside of her control. Like, the big climactic scene at the end, I get no impression that she's fully aware of what she's doing. In fact, uh, with the way De Palma shoots it, there's a shot of the the gym teacher, Miss Collins, 
looking at her and not laughing. And then a few shots later, there's that kaleidoscope effect where it seems like everybody's laughing. And Miss Collins is one of those people. And it makes you think, okay, is this all in Carrie's mind? Is she so damaged that she's sort of hallucinating and seeing people laughing at her when maybe actually they're not? And that, I think, is a a very interesting take on the character. And it has a lot of, of impact, and it's a very visceral sequence. In this movie, though, it's a, it's just a completely different character. This version of Carrie knows who she is. We see her coming to understand her powers. And then at the very end, she is fully conscious of what she's doing. She knows, I'm doing this. I am angry at people, I am killing them, and I'm choosing to save Miss Desjardins, who's in this film played by Judy Greer. Uh, In the original film, Miss Collins was killed, but here she's choosing to save people and kill others. And that, to me, is a much more morally complex idea than just, I'm mentally ill and I'm damaged and you're laughing at me, so I'm just reacting without really understanding. I think you're missing the symbolic implications of that ending. The way that I understood it is that she is so hurt by her surroundings and the people around her that when the few people start to laugh, she sees them all laughing at her. Right. And then she is not in control of her powers. Exactly. The powers is a stand-in for, yes, for female sexuality and whatnot. And we'll get to that in a minute. The thing of that is is that she's not in control, so she unleashes it all. And she kills everyone because everyone in her mind is guilty. And with that, everyone is complicit in the bullying that she endures. They didn't do enough to stop it. The teacher is guilty. The principal is guilty. All the little brats that did laugh at her and threw stuff at her are guilty. You know, yes, maybe some people are silent passerbys or, like, just people on the sidelines, but they're guilty because they didn't stop it. They didn't say anything. So I think that's much more symbolically important than if she saves a few and kills the rest. And I also feel like it's much more in touch with how a teenager would react to the situation because I don't feel like a teenager would fully realize that she's in control of her power. Like, I feel like it's... Especially one that's been picked on and, like, paranoid about getting picked on. As someone who wasn't even picked on that much in, like, middle school and high school, I remember being paranoid and thinking, you know, walking down the halls thinking people might be laughing at me or people might be talking about me. And Brian De Palma's film is brilliant with that kaleidoscope shot because it's shows how impulsive teenagers are with their emotions because they have not been in situations like that before and that makes their emotions more raw and that's why she totally loses it. And also, Sissy Spacek's performance, she is so gorgeous and she's so happy. And then the pig's blood drops on her and she doesn't even really do anything except make her eyes bulge out of her skull a little bit. Mm-hmm. And she's absolutely terrifying. She looks like she's from another planet. She's otherworldly. And then the split screen starts. And not only does that force the viewer to pay attention, but it overwhelms them because they're forced to pay attention and it makes it seem like all this other stuff is going on. Carrie's not even moving. She's not lifting up her arms. She's right. lost control. She's emotionally broken. And I feel like that's much more realistic with the teenage psyche than just someone who looks like Magneto and as a 16-year-old girl, 
basically just lifting up her arms and uh, on the border of saying, die, die. Like, it just... I, I mean, no, I, I agree with everything that you're both saying. I'm just saying they're completely... They're different takes on the character. And each take... I think is well done for what that character represents. Monica, you mentioned the De Palma films all about sexual awakening. I agree. Many critics have said that the uh, that climactic scene is in, is kind of like an orgasm almost. It is just impulse, and it, and it's and it's overwhelming. And here in this remake, I think that Kim, what Kimberly Pierce has done, she's taken the focus away from the sexual side of it, and she's made it more about female empowerment in general, and just Carrie learning to stand up for herself, just refusing to let people tear her down, and finally just saying, okay, I'm going to treat you the same way you treat me. I'm consciously going to choose to destroy you. And I think that it does add some interesting thematic territory, and it does bring up that idea of, should we be rooting for Carrie because I feel like in the De Palma film that final moment is so cathartic in many ways and it is so emotional that you do kind of side with Carrie even though she's killing everybody in sight and that's partly because it doesn't seem like she's fully in control of it in this movie she is in control of it and I I wasn't quite fully on her side I was like whoa should I be siding with Carrie is this is this an appropriate response. And I think it it does bring up some more morally complex issues related to an eye for an eye, the bullied versus the bullies. And I did think that that was a very interesting take on the character. I just wish the rest of the movie had explored that territory more fully and diverted away from the original film a little bit more. Because it feels like this is a new carry that needs a new movie (laughs) to inhabit. And here's where I get to tell you, you are wrong. So I did actually interview Kim Pierce, and I'm hoping my interview will be coming out soon. And when I asked her about the whole revenge thing, she was very much on the side of making you fall in love with Carrie so you feel her actions are justified at the end. And she does say that her intention was for you to so be on Carrie's side that you do root for her at the end. So the fact that you're calling her actions into question means that Kim Pierce did not succeed in her mission. Maybe so, but that does, even if she didn't succeed in what she intended, I think what wound up on screen is in many ways more interesting than what she intended. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I honestly had the exact opposite reactions that you did to both films because when Carrie loses it in the original film, She's so frightening, and she's so terrifying looking. Sissy Spacek barely moves a muscle in her face, apart from moving her eyes out of her skull. And I felt like De Palma was like, this is what you want, right? You want these characters to get their comeuppance. And I felt like De Palma was punishing us for wanting this bloodlust, and it made it more morally ambiguous, especially considering in the original film, and this doesn't happen in the book either, One of the most sympathetic characters that's even more sympathetic to Carrie in the original film than in this film is Miss Collins, who is Miss Desjardins, played by Judy Greer in the remake. She gets cut in half in the original film, and that hurt me so much in the original film because it really shows how far off the deep end Carrie has gone. And not to mention, when Miss Collins in the original film is killed, it's during the split-screen technique where 
Chris Hargensen, the main bully who sets up the pig blood uh, prank in the first place, watches her die and is horrified by it. And even the character who hates the gym teacher even more than Carrie White, possibly, is watching her die and is horrified. I feel like that's so much more terrifying than what we got in the remake. Because in the remake, I felt very queasy because Kimberly Pierce shoots a lot of it in slow motion as if we're, like, waiting for a remake of a film with different kills. Especially with the scene with Chris and Billy Nolan in the car at the end. She telekinetically crashes the car, and there's a slow-motion shot of Billy breaking his nose with CGI blood everywhere. And then that's not even enough for Kimberly Pierce to think that the viewers are satisfied for their bloodlust. Chris has to stay alive, and then she's shattered through the windshield in slow motion with broken glass shattering in her face. And it just felt like a Saw film to me. It felt like this is what you want, right? You want to be cheering on with Carrie, right? And I was like, no, the the, the original film did this so much better because the violence was so much more brief. And it was so and much more morally ambiguous. Is is kind of like a help to her in that sense because yes. she's not consciously in control of what she's doing. She's not deciding to kill these people. They're just in the tempest. I- exactly, which makes it all the more frightening for me. Well, right, and I agree with you that in the original, it's all about this. She doesn't have control, and it's all coming out, and everyone is getting killed, whether or not you think they deserve it or not. And I think it totally works in the original film. In this remake, I actually really liked that scene where she is um, confronting Chris and her boyfriend in the car. I actually think that that scene played out much better than it did in the 1976 film. In the 1976 film, Carrie's at the school, she walks out, she's very much like a zombie, And then the next thing we know, she's in the middle of the road and Chris is trying to run her down for some reason, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it makes sense because she's watching watching Carrie destroy the whole prom. She's watching Carrie kill people. She watches Carrie kill Miss Collins. She knows something weird is going on. That's why she's trying to run Carrie down. Right, but the way that it's edited in the 1976 film, it just is suddenly, oh, she's in the road, and now Chris is trying to run her over, and there's no time to get your Yeah, sense. because Chris watches Carrie kill Miss Collins, out of all people, and you see Chris even have an emotional shock to Miss Collins getting killed, who she calls a fucking bitch in the beginning of the 1976 film, more effectively than in the remake. And in the remake, it just feels drawn out, as if we need as much blood as possible and we need to kill these characters off in new ways in a way that made it very queasy for me. Good. I think you're supposed to be queasy. I think that in th- that in this remake, I think that that sequence flows a lot better. First of all, you see Carrie, she kind of flies. She's not just walking like a zombie. Crouching tiger hidden dragon style. Oh, I was going to say, Magneto's <laughs> actually pretty good. Yeah, Magneto. She's just throwing shit. Well, it does kind of bring up that idea of, is she a witch? Is she evil? And you get to see her flying, and that's kind of creepy. And then she lands, and Chris doesn't decide to run her down right away. There's this sort of sequence of events where she and her boyfriend are, like, trying to drive away, and then they can't. And then then they decide, okay, well, Carrie, you've responded in this way, so now we feel like we need to respond in return. And I feel like the scene just has a much better flow where I could understand why people were acting the way they were. And then when you do see the slow motion and the gruesome detail of how Carrie is killing Chris and her boyfriend, just the the shot of all the glass in Chris's face, I, I really was like, oh my god, this is too much, Carrie, I'm no longer on your side. 
I'm not rooting for you. And that to me is much more interesting because again, it's that idea of, okay, yeah, Chris was bad, but does she deserve to be tortured and have glass shoved in her face and for it to just be drawn out like this? Maybe not. And that to me was much more thematically interesting to me. But it felt like it was like fulfilling an audience's thirst for blood. And in the original, it was brief. All of the violence in the original is brief, regardless of how graphic it is, whether it's Miss Collins getting the basketball hoop, cutting her in half, or Carrie having the dozens of knives stabbing her mother. It never really centers on it in a way that's like, look how gruesome this is. And it gave me the, it gave me the sort of feel that I get from watching a Saw film or uh, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, where it's just kind of like, look how gruesome this is. And it's, it's so funny, Andrew, because I got the exact opposite feeling from the original, where I feel like the original is graphic, but it doesn't shove your face in it. And at times it's even ambiguous. The fact that Chris and Billy just flip over a few times and then they blow up and you don't see anything else, that makes my imagination run wild and that makes it all the more terrifying for me. I don't need to see that she has dozens of pieces of broken glass shoved into her face in slow motion. Like, my imagination can help me out with that. I think it's more distancing to just see them flip over and blow up. Then it's like, oh, look at Carrie. Good for you, Carrie. You you got rid of your enemies. And in this version, it's like, ugh, do I really want to see all this? I don't know, Carrie. Maybe you're going too far. But the distance that we get is the distance that Carrie gets because she doesn't see that they're uh, getting shoved in close up with broken glass in her face. Well, we, well, get exactly. Carrie, and- we get Carrie's perspective, which is a much more cold perspective, which makes it all the more frightening to me is that it's almost from Carrie's perspective as if she's just like, yep, I'm going to blow this car up and I'm just going to keep walking home. I'm not going to focus, I'm not going to focus on killing these people and shove it and and film it in close up in slow motion with CGI glass being like exactly and 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 here, that's what I'm saying I'm saying if you did the slow motion with the glass in the 76 film it would feel out of place because that Carrie is all about just cold impulse nothing else. This Carrie is fully aware of what she's doing. She's far more sadistic. It's just a different character and I think that the way Kimberly Pierce presented it uh, was in line with that new take on the character. Yeah, you know what? Sassy Carrie is kind of coming off like Bully Carrie. Exactly! So, what? I feel like that's hypocritical, though. Why are we going to do that? I feel like that's totally hypocritical. I don't understand. I I feel like the whole point of the first film is you getting punished for seeing what you want to happen. And here I feel like it's like, aren't you happy? Look at all these new gruesome kills we have. See, I don't feel it's like, are you happy? I think it's like, ugh, are you sure this is what you want? I just feel like there are a lot of people out there who will go see the new Carrie based on how certain people are going to die. I mean, look, like, Final Destination. Uh, Screw (laughs) those people! But, but I don't, but that's the intention that I feel like Kimberly Pierce put into the film. Like, and look at the culture we live in. We have saws, we have seven Saw films, five Final Destination films. We're remaking every slasher film ever. It's all about how we can literally dissect teenagers in new gruesome ways and not about how we can add thematic depth to a classic story. It just felt so workmanlike. It just felt like any other Michael Bay produced remake of any slasher film that could come out. I will agree with you that a lot of the film does feel workmanlike, but I do think, especially there near the end, you do get to see some of Pierce's personality as a filmmaker shining through. And regardless of what other people are going to take from it, or even regardless of what her intent was, screw those people, screw her intent, what's on screen <laughs> lines up with this character 
and I think that it leads to With some... your exactly, reading of this character. Yes, your reading! Yes, which is what, as critics, we are supposed to bring to it! It's alright, party of one. I, right. I See, I feel like we're not gonna come to any sort of agreement here, because we both got... We, all three of us, got different interpretations of what we found Kimberly Pierce to be attempting to represent through this story. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, as an individual... And as a individual critic, what I viewed from the film, I quite liked. And I, I and I like how after this whole massacre goes down, there's the scene with Carrie in the bathtub. And in the 1976 film, that scene is played completely silent. And it's amazing. In this version, she actually murmurs very softly to herself, I'm so sorry. And you get this sense of she's remorseful of what she's done. She's not sure if she did the right thing. Yeah, but you know what? Sissy Spacek did that with no dialogue in the original. Like, the original's like getting stabbed in the heart with a really sharp knife, and this one's like trying to stab you in the heart with a really blunt spoon. It's just... Oh, don't tell. Yes, you don't have to... Sissy Spacek conveys emotions without dialogue. Here, they have to to have Chloe Moritz Grace saying what's going on in order for you to feel. The original, because Carrie is so damaged, I'm not quite sure what she's feeling and how she's fully processing what she's done. Oh, wow. I couldn't disagree with you more. And I think it works within the context of her as a character because she's so mentally and psychologically damaged. In this movie, this is a much more put-together Carrie who knows who she is, and I think that it's appropriate that we see her wrestling with what she's done. And then at the end, when uh, Sue Snell shows up at the very end, and Carrie is basically kind of like, well, it's your fault, maybe, that I did this way, even though you were nice to me. That, I thought, was an interesting idea, and I wish that they had gone further with that, that idea of... When? How could they have possibly gone further with that? The house was falling on her. Well, well, well see, that's what I'm saying. I'm My problem, my main problem with the movie is that you've got a different take on the character that is stuck within, narratively, the De Palma film. And it's just, it's not, it doesn't flow together. Exactly. And I wish that this movie had diverted from the De Palma film more to explore some of the interesting implications that this take on the character brings up. Those are like little ideas, throwaway tangents that just don't end up anywhere. Like the beginning sequence, at the very beginning sequence, where it's supposed to show the mother's relationship a little bit more, I thought that was completely unnecessary, and in fact, it got a few laughs out of our audience. Yeah, I mean, like, it has the Bible on the stairs, there's water leaking up, we get it, she's having a baby, and she thinks it's cancer, which is also silly. And she, like, points at scissors at And her? is it supposed to be ambiguous that Carrie is <laughs> telekinetic already as an infant, or that she loves her baby too much? I, I think Julianne Moore does what she can with that scene, but it really doesn't raise that many interesting questions. And it's so funny to me because, honestly, I feel like I got a better sense of as to who Carrie was as a character with a more ambiguous take in the Brian De Palma film. Like, it just feels like the film has no teeth. It feels like it's settling for a more conventional look, don't you understand what this character's feeling right now? We're gonna, we're gonna explain it, uh, with even more unnecessary dialogue. And it doesn't have an identity of its own. You said yourself that it's kind of a remake of the De Palma film, but it's trying to be something different. But why can't Kimberly Pierce go all the way? Why can't she just have her own vision as opposed to kind of falling back on Brian De Palma's film when she's not confident and then saying, oh, but I do want to do this different version. That just doesn't work. I agree with you. The lack of style is the biggest problem with the film. What I'm saying is I think that this is a different take on the character, and I think Kimberly Pierce does make small changes to the script that make it flow better and that have some really interesting implications. 
I, I think the problem is that you think those are improvements and we find those to be uh, fallbacks. Okay, well, let's let's talk about some more of the changes. Um, I, I want to talk about Margaret Carey's mother because I actually like some of the changes that they made with her in the remake. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, I, I, I think the uh, I think the final scenes with Margaret, especially where she's telling Carrie about how she was conceived, I, th- there were some small changes to that that had some interesting implications. Really? Because the line is exactly the same. Yeah, she gives the same exact monologue that she does at the end of the film. Well, the monologue about the boyfriend coming home with the whiskey on his breath, that's the same. And I liked it. I liked it! Yeah. But there's another point in the film, I I can't remember the exact line, but I'm pretty sure that they clarify that it it wasn't consensual and that Carrie was the product of rape. And, And that's a little bit different. I don't think she ever says the word rape. I could be wrong about that. I'm not going to deny that, 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 that it's a possibility. I but think I'm it would pretty, have written that down. I don't think that she uses the word rape. I mean, I think she's she, almost in the same position she, talking she, to Carrie yeah, in the she, movie. She says certain phrases like the devil has come home as if like she's the product of something horrible. Well, I can't remember if they use the word rape or if she says that he forced himself on her or, or something like that. But I'm pretty sure that there was a line in there about it. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for the for the remake right now, and it does say that she tells Carrie that Carrie's father got drunk and raped her. In the original film, I didn't get that at all. What I got from the original film is that they got drunk. She was clearly less drunk than he was, but she oh, smelled the whiskey on his breath. I thought and he she, was the only one that was drunk. And he was she, oh, okay. She okay. makes him pray. Yeah. Okay. So and he then was he clear, takes her. He was clearly drunk, but she liked it because she says that twice. And she says that we never sinned, and then the one time she sinned, she got pregnant, and that's why she feels guilt. But I don't consider that rape. I consider that uh, to be a very religious woman who's not married to have consensual sex before marriage who feels guilt about it. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. In the original, the implication was that it was consensual and she feels guilty about it. And in the remake, they imply more heavily that, no, actually, she was raped. Why does rape enhance that? What does that say about rape? Well, it's in keeping with the with this take on the character of Carrie and the themes of, of this movie. I mean, the first movie, De Palma's film, was all about sexual repression, and all of Margaret's actions stem from that repression and, and that guilt that she feels. And, and this movie is much more about empowerment and coping with trauma, whether it's the bullies at school or actually an assault. And if Margaret is raped, it also just gets back to that idea of, okay, well, maybe Carrie's a cancer, she's the product of this trauma. It does more to clarify why Margaret would act towards Carrie with such hatred, because Carrie reminds her of what happened to her. A lot of the characters in this movie are traumatized in one way or another by the people around them, and that's why they're acting the way that they do. Yeah, well, go watch Chronicle or Akira for that. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like this has just been developed better through different stories, and you don't have to make Carrie meld into this story that we've seen before. Well, I I don't think that that's fair, because if you want to judge a remake like this that sticks so closely to the original, you have to look at what small things it changes and why. And I think that all of the changes in this film serve a purpose, and I think that they're tackling different themes from the original film. And it's not fair to automatically dismiss it just because you don't like the fact that it's different from that film, and you don't like the themes that it's choosing to deal with. Well, first off, I want to say that one of my top ten films of the year is a remake, and it's also directed by the guy who did the original Carrie, Brian De Palma. It's his film called Passion, which was a remake of a French film that 
I have not seen, but I have done research on, and he changed the ending, he changed certain characters. I know that's not exactly fair of me to compare it because I haven't seen the French film, but I immediately got from this film that it was De Palma because it has split screen, it has very vibrant colors, especially red, it has De Palma's signature camera movements. I'm not saying I'm opposed to remakes at all, I just think that it has to say something more than just what this film says, because all I really get from this film is themes that I've seen in other high school revenge films before. I mean, I could go watch Heathers, and it would be a much funnier, much darker, much more ambitious film that explores this. Oh, real quick, the the self-harm that Margaret was doing to herself, what did you take that as? Um, I just took that as it, it's another product of her self-loathing. She's been traumatized, and she blames herself for it, and she hates herself, and she feels guilty about it, so that's why she cuts herself and makes herself feel pain. But did you really find that to be necessary? I felt like that. it's just the problem that I had with this film in general is that it was like, okay, you know the themes of the first one? We're going to hit you over the head with a hammer with that. Pig's blood for a pig. Oh, you can tell that Margaret does have some self-loathing. Just to make sure that you get that, we're going to show her scratching her arms. We're going to show her cutting herself at her job. And it just felt so unnecessary. I think that ties in with some of the dominant visual motifs of the movie. Um, the, the image of blood is really important in this film. I mean, it was important in the De Palma film because you've got the menstruation at the beginning and then all the blood falling on Carrie at the end. Uh, with, with this film, though, you've got all of that plus Margaret cutting herself. You've got the more gruesome deaths at the end. You've got the statue of Jesus in the closet that starts bleeding. I, I just think it's, it's sort of tying all these ideas together about trauma and empowerment and how blood can be a source of both depending on the context. And also the other big visual theme I noticed is water. There's a lot of shots of water in this movie and that idea of cleansing. You've got the tub at the end and the shower. And I thought it was interesting how the opening scene of the remake, uh, I mean, the original began with the girls playing volleyball outside, but here they're playing volleyball in the pool. And there's that little tease of, oh, is she going to get her period in the pool? And that was very interesting to me. But yeah, I liked how Kimberly Pierce hit on those two images of blood and water throughout the film and, and just all the things that they can represent. I just feel like less is more, especially when it comes to the, like, I feel like the remake is giving everything that the original had in excess, but that nullifies the experience and it hits you over the head to the point where I just feel like everyone involved thinks I'm not smart enough to get it because I got all the messages that this film was trying to convey out of the original with less of it. I mean, there's basically a training montage scene of her using her telekinesis. The volleyball scene, sure, it's in a pool. Sure, that can offer, like, this is when Carrie's reborn into figuring out her powers and stuff like that. But I also had a problem with that scene because it goes to her taking a shower and it's almost like the same shot of her taking a shower as it is in the original film and it's so hypnotic and De Palma's just such an incredible visual stylist to the point where I feel like if you're gonna remake this film that's already a classic by a very iconic director you have to bring something new to the table and I just felt like Kimberly Pierce half the time was like well there's no way I can top this I'll do this that's different, but I'm not going to, like, especially the ending with the gravestone, I thought was oh, just Oh, I'll agree like, with you there. That was awful. That was absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I just felt like Kimberly Pierce's heart wasn't fully in this project. I just felt that it was kind of a cash grab. 
And I love Kimberly Pierce. I think she's a genuinely talented director. Boys Don't Cry will forever be one of my favorite films. But I felt like any director could have made this film, and I would have bought it. I, I sense no Kimberly Pierce personality through this project. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the other supporting characters, because I actually like how they develop the supporting characters in this film more than in the De Palma film. I think it's a little bit neater in a good way. But uh, to start off, I guess just tell me, what do you like about how they present the supporting characters in the De Palma film? How about the teacher? You had you had something to okay, say about the teacher. Okay, the teacher, I love Judy Greer. I think Judy Greer is an immensely talented actress. I think she's hilarious, especially in things like Arrest Development. Whenever she pops up, I'm always happy to see her, even in this film. But Betty Buckley in the original is just so sympathetic to Carrie in a way that I found to be so authentic. And there's a beautiful scene that adds to the magic of Carrie's prom night before everything goes wrong, where she gives this huge monologue about her prom. And it's, sure, it's a little corny if it's out of context, but the way Betty Buckley sells it is just so authentic, and it makes her death in the original film all the more heartbreaking, because you can tell that this woman truly cares about this teenage girl and knows what it feels like to go through high school as a teenager and be confused about your sexuality and be confused about who you're growing up to be, especially when your parents are crazy. And I just feel like Judy Greer, yeah, she's fine. I always like Judy Greer, but she's basically just recycling lines from the original script. And then they decide not to kill her off. Okay. But then they have nothing but just have her stand off to the corner and cry and do nothing. I also felt that like John Travolta and Nancy Allen, who are Chris Hardinson and Billy Nolan in the original, sure, they're dumb, stereotypical bullies. But there was a self-awareness to their mean streak, and they, they were clearly having fun being dimwits. And I feel like the original film was kind of allowing you to laugh at how superficial and mean-spirited they were and how dumb they were, but that you know people who went to high school that were like that. Here, it's just kind of played straight, and there's no darkly comic relief. And I also felt that uh, Amy Irving as Sue Snell was very convincing as this girl who felt a lot of guilt for teasing Carrie in the locker room. And the scene where she tells, she asks her boyfriend Tommy to take her to the prom is off screen. And it actually works better that way because it cuts away and then goes to Billy and Nancy in the car being stupid. And I actually felt like we could fill in the blanks there and this character feels enough guilt to convince her boyfriend that. And then Tommy Ross, I felt like he was much more sincere, he was much more genuine, he was much more kind. There's a beautiful shot in the De Palma film where it just has Sissy Spacek and Tommy Ross dancing, and the camera spins around them in the opposite direction that they're spinning in, and it's during a scene that's portrayed in this film, but it just plays straight, where Carrie asks, why am I here? Because I asked you. Why do you ask me? because I wanted you to come, and it adds to the dizziness and the suspense in the original, and then when she finally gives in and accepts that this boy might like her, and they laugh, and they're spinning, it feels so magical. And in here in the remake, it's just shot in a shot-to-shot format, where it's just, like, close-up of Chloe Moretz Grace, and then close-up of the actor who plays Tommy. As it should be! 
Uh, as it no, be because it, no, yes, it, it adds is. to the okay. mysticism. I get it. The De Palma film, it's all about impulse. It's all about emotion. And that whole dizzying effect, it's a great shot. And it accentuates her frame of mind at the time, which is that she's getting all caught up in it. She's she's getting dizzy. She doesn't know what to think. She doesn't know what to believe. And in, again, this Carrie in the remake is very aware of what's going on. And she she has her head on her shoulders, and she's not getting quite as caught up in it all. So, of course, the camera's going to be a bit more stable. She still leans on him at the end, <laughs> and she still kind of coddles with him. Aww. I agree with what you're trying to say, but why does this Carrie, played by Chloe Mertz Grace, deserve any sort of sympathy or rooting interest because eventually when it comes down to it, she's a character who we've seen in a lot of high school movies seeking revenge. That's not very original from anything else. And Sissy Spacek's portrayal of Carrie White is so idiosyncratic because it's a beautiful girl who's trying her best to be happy. It's two completely different takes on the character, like I've already said. Oh, I know, but I'm just saying, doesn't the Sissy Spacek character earn your sympathy much more than Chloe Moritz Grace? Yes, and as I've already said, I think that's the point. I don't think we're supposed to be as sympathetic for the Chloe Moritz character at the end. See, but but I never got that. I, I didn't get that from the film at all, especially because they draw out uh, Margaret White's death scene to the point where she's crying and she's sobbing and she's like, I love you, Mom, and then... Also, she had much more... The new Carrie had much more control over her mom earlier on in the film than she did in the original. It wasn't until yeah. the very end where she, like, actually uses her powers. She locks her mother in the closet. Yes. For her own safety, and she also spares the gym teacher, which makes me think that okay, we're supposed to be rooting for this Carrie because she doesn't kill innocent people. And then Sue Snell comes in, and she says, please don't hurt me, and she goes, why? I've been hurt my whole life. And then she realizes that Sue Snell is pregnant, in a soap opera-like <laughs> twist that is so contrived and corny and forced and stupid that I felt like Kimberly Pierce is like, see, Carrie's a nice girl. She 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 kills all the bad people, but she spares innocent people. And I'm just like, no, you can't play that game. Like, it's much more scary and frightening and disturbing to me when you have a character who truly is sincere and trying to be a good person and then kills people who love her, who are trying to help her. That kind of moment with Sue Snell is a mess in the movie because... But you liked it. No, I know. I think the uh, it's an interesting scene where she comes up and, and Carrie is basically like, it's your fault. Why shouldn't I kill you? And I think that that's an interesting idea. But then you're right. Then she just kind of lets her go for no reason. And I was like, wait, you just said that you weren't going to let her go. Why'd you let her go? And it's not her fault. It's Chris's fault and Billy's fault. It's not Sue's fault. Sue. That's the whole point of the original film, too, is that Sue is just trying to be nice. And that's the tragedy of it, is that she's trying to do the right thing and it still fails. And that's a more interesting commentary to me about teenage social power in high school than anything. In it, well, that's what I'm saying. What's interesting about the remake is that at the end... Carrie, in that line when she questions Sue and says it's all your fault, she's becoming just like Chris, who can't realize that, no, it, it is her fault. She did do wrong, and she needs to take responsibility for it. And I like that. You're right, though. The final scene is messy, and then she just kind of lets Sue go for no real reason. But in terms of the supporting characters, the way it structured those scenes with the supporting characters flows so much better to me. I couldn't disagree with you more. Even now, when I watch the 1976 film... I'm not quite sure what Sue's 
motivations are until the very end when she shows up at prom and you can tell, okay, yes, she is trying to figure out what's going on and she does feel guilty. Because they don't show you that conversation with Tommy, I'm just kind of wondering, well, wait, is she being serious or is this part of another prank? But that's what makes it all the much more better is because, like... She proves herself. Like, like, in slow-motion sequence, she sees Carrie getting crowned and she's smiling and you're like, oh, she really is good. And then her hand which is wrapped around the corner of the uh, building, is also wrapped around the rope that is attached to the bucket of blood. And then you realize, oh, she's not really in on this. She really wants her to have a good time. And that adds to the tragedy as she truly tries to stop it. As opposed to Chris just texting her friend saying, your friend's pretty, but she won't be for long. Like, the slow motion realization of, okay, this character's nice, and oh my god, she's realizing what's going on. And you want her so bad to stop what's happening. That adds to the tension of the film to me. I agree with you. That moment in the 76 film is fantastic. I'm just saying for most of the movie, I did not understand who that character was. And that was a problem for me. And I like how it all comes together in that. Oh, I'm sorry you don't like ambiguity. That's There's a difference between being ambiguous and being vague. And I feel like when it comes to supporting characters, the 76 film is very vague. Vague would be if he didn't answer that at all. I think eventually he does. Yeah, vague would be, I want you to take Carrie out to the prom and then you never see Sue Snell again. The fact that we see her smiling and happy and seeing her boyfriend with Carrie White, who she picked on in the beginning, and seeing her so happy to see that she's having the moment of her life shows that she's a good-hearted person. That's not ambiguous. It's only ambiguous up to the point. And then you understand the character's motivations, and that makes the storytelling for me all the more enthralling. What I like about the remake is that I like how from the very beginning we can see that Sue is guilty, and I like how probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, actually, is the scene in the gym where she and Chris have that extended confrontation. Oh, I hated that. That just felt like every cliched conversation I've ever heard in the locker room at gym. I'm sorry, but, like, I'm not even sure who the actress who plays Chris Hardinson and Billy Nolan are, but they were just flat for me. I just felt like every supporting character in this remake was bland and free of any form of personality. I felt like the people in the original film even though I wasn't alive in 1976, I was born in 1991, those felt like more real characters in a high school today than these, you know, characters who, like, Billy, you know, the guy looks like Justin Bieber, and she looks like Ashley Benson, and, you know, Chris Hargenson is just mean without any dark humor or any sense of irony. She's just a bitch for no reason. That's not true. I will get to Chris in a second, but all I'm going to say about Sue is that I like how in this film they firmly establish that Sue feels guilty, she's trying to do the right thing, and then uh, in that conversation with Chris, Chris brings up, are you really trying to do the right thing? Like, you've wanted to go to prom forever. And I hated that because I don't need that shoved down my throat. I don't need that spoon-fed to me. I can tell from the original that prom is important to Sue from the very beginning, she's part of this group of girls who's very popular. I get that enough through the confrontation that the coach has with her, or the gym teacher has with her, with why are you doing this? Don't you think you'll be, don't you think you'll be a little ridiculous carrying Carrie White in the prom? Don't you want to go to your prom at senior prom? This is exactly what I have a problem with in the remake is that they hammer home all of the character traits as if we're too stupid to fully understand what these characters are feeling. 
It added layers to Sue to me that were not there in the first film. Okay. And it made me understand, okay, this really is a big deal when she's inviting, when she's telling Tommy to go out with Carrie. And even then later on, when she she looks kind of jealous at Tommy and Carrie, I just thought it was a much more well-rounded character. Even though, yes, you're right, in the original film, that moment at the end is incredibly tragic and very effective. When it comes to the character of Chris, again, it just felt a lot cleaner to me in this version. In the De Palma film, Chris, because that movie's all about sex, it's about Chris asserting herself sexually, and that's how she's getting power. In this film, I I got a real sense that Chris is acting the way she is because, like Carrie, like everyone in the film, pretty much, she's trying to gain control over her life and over the situation. We get to see how her father is very rough with her. We get the sense that he's could be pretty overbearing. She's just trying to establish her control away from him. Uh, Later on, we see her boyfriend being very rough with her, and she's trying to to assert herself, but at the same time, we get the feeling that her boyfriend might be kind of uh, abusive, just like John Travolta was in uh, in the original. And also in this remake, Chris doesn't really want to dump the blood when it comes right down to it, which I thought was interesting. She hesitates. I just got a much clearer sense of this is a character who, like Carrie, is feeling bullied to a certain extent by the people around her, and she's acting the way she does because she wants to regain control. And that is what this movie is about. It's about people trying to gain control, lashing out, sometimes violently, as a means of gaining control. And and even um, the character of Miss Collins in the original, she's physically abusive towards Carrie, no more than Judy Greer is in this film, and if anything, I feel like it was more inappropriate in this film, because Judy Greer could be fired uh, if she slapped a student in this day and age. In 76, I'll buy it. I really will. In this film, I just, like with Chris, I got a sense of where that was coming from. I got the sense that, okay, Judy Greer's character is acting this way because she is she's lashing out, she's trying to gain control over the situation. You didn't get that from the original, though? I just feel like it's shot the same exact way. I feel like it's almost the exact same thing, only with iPhones. And then they have that whole YouTube thing that really doesn't add Well, much. also, in the original film, she's physically very rough with Chris on the field. And she it seems like she's she's constantly trying to assert herself physically on these girls. And I'm like, I don't quite know how I feel about that. But it was the 70s. No, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying, I feel like as a character... I got much, a much clearer sense of, oh, she's doing that because she's trying to regain control. It, it's not because she actually wants to hit these girls. It's just, like Carrie, she's lashing out impulsively. And I thought that that was much more clearly communicated in the remake than it was in the 76 film. Yeah, no. Yeah, I disagree with you. Can we at least agree on the fact that the De Palma version is superior? That's what I said at the very beginning. I said, overall, De Palma's is more emotionally compelling and more stylistically in a, ge- a better achievement. That doesn't mean that the remake is a complete travesty. Do you think that people should seek this out before seeing the original film? Because the first time I experienced this film was with the original and I was completely blown away. And yeah, I definitely have a certain bias over seeing that version over this one because I was born in a different generation than a lot of people who will see this film. But I don't think it's fair to say this film should take priority over A, the original, or B, 
several other films that are in theaters that will offer a much more intense and uh, terrifying time at the, at, at the movies right now. As I said from the beginning, I think De Palma's version is the better film. But I don't think just because that this version is inferior doesn't mean you can just step back and go, oh, it's a total failure. I think it does some interesting things. I think it touches on some interesting thematic notes. It's a different take on the character. And I do think that at least in terms of the flow and, and, and from a script perspective, I like the supporting characters much better in this version than I do in De Palma's version. When it comes to whether or not people should watch this first... I think people, yeah, you probably should watch the remake first, so then you can still be wowed by uh, De Palma's overall style, because that's definitely what he brings to the table. That that just he has such an assured sense of style and mood that his version just has it has much more of an emotional impact to it than this one. Did you feel that Tommy Ross and Billy Nolan were more interesting in this film than they were in uh, the original, especially considering that Billy Nolan was John Travolta's first uh, starring feature role. I found them about the same. Didn't you feel like there was a darkly comic edge to the original film, though, like where it showed how superficial and dim-witted uh, Chris Hardinson and Billy Nolan were? And it showed how they might be powerful in terms of, like, their social life at school, but it, overall they're very empty characters who uh, desire nothing apart from popularity or social authority. Yeah, the original, they're presented as kind of dumb and dim-witted. In this version, like I said, Chris is more of, you, you get the sense that she is more put together and she is just kind of reacting like Carrie. She's trying to get control over the situation, even though she has all of these people in her life, mainly men who are, who are constantly trying to enforce rules on her that she doesn't want to abide by. Also slight note. I do like how they incorporated YouTube into this version. I wish they had done a little bit more with it. And again, I like how it comes up at the very end. While I think that the climactic scene is much more, powerful viscerally in uh, De Palma's film. Again, I think this version is is cleaner, in a sense, where Carrie gets the blood dumped on her. About five times. Yeah. Like five instant replays. It's a little little overdone there. Yeah. You almost expect the sports commentator to, uh, <laughs> you know, come in halfway, but... And then they throw up the, uh, the YouTube video, and Tommy dies, and you can clearly see that that's the thing that pushes her over the edge. I, I just liked how it was structured. And also, really random note, I liked how the bucket fell on Tommy in this one. In the original, it just falls on his head and he falls down. And I was like, wait, what happened? Is Tommy dead? And in this one, I actually got the sense that, yes, the bucket is very heavy. And it, when it hits him on the head, he's got a fractured skull or he's... He's gone. And that was communicated much better in this movie. In the original film, I actually prefer it because you don't know if he's dead or not. But the fact that she starts her massacre with him either dead or unconscious right next to her, and she lets the whole school burn to the ground and doesn't even, like, consider his life. And then at the end, when you get Sue Snell's mother confirming that he's dead, that's more powerful to me then just a very loud clunk, and then, no, Tommy, no, oh, no, Tommy, oh, I will kill everybody. Like, it just, <laughs> it just did not, it felt so forced to me. And yes, he does die of a fractured skull, I believe, in the book, 
But in terms of uh, telling the story in a cinematic form, I feel like the original film's ambiguity of Tommy, whether or not he's dead or not, he's on the ground, he's not moving, and the fact that she just lets him die with the rest of the school really shows how insane she's gone and how impulsive she's become and how she's lost control of her power through that impulsion to the point where she doesn't even care if Tommy's alive or dead because she thinks everyone's against her. And that feeling of paranoia is something that I feel like a lot of high school kids struggle with, where you feel like the world's against you. Because if you're a kid, you know, you get everything, everything's handed to you, and then you realize not everything's fair in life, not everything's goes your way, and then you get really scared of the outside world and having to, in, in, you know, immigrate into uh, puberty and uh, becoming, you know, an adult or a teenager or an adolescent, and I feel like that was m- much more powerfully conveyed in the original. Alright, well, we need to wrap things up. To, to finish things off, can we all at least agree that the tuxedo montage was much better in the remake? Can we no. at least come together no. on that? No? Oh, Dude, come Ruffles. on. Come Dude, on. the 70s music? That's so, like, yeah, the wonder- music was better. Yeah, like, the, in this version, they have, like, lame, I don't know, hip-hop or it's something? Just, like, some poppy. It just felt, like, half-assed, because I even turned to Monica when we watched the, the original film earlier uh, the night before. Like, they're not going to have the scene in the remake. And then they <laughs> did, and they had lamer music, and I was like, oh, and they even have the ruffles. Yeah, you said, oh, they even have the ruffles. Like, yeah, one of the guys <laughs> got ruffles or something. And I just felt like it was so much more authentic in the oh, 70s version. Oh, God. That's, I, it feels like such a useless scene to me. It is such a getting ready for prom scene. And it's more useful in the remake? Uh, no, I, I'm saying it's, again, as with a lot of things in the remake, it's just more efficient at communicating what it needs to communicate and then, and then moving on. I think you are on a different wavelength than the two of us. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> <laughs> that, that? That's me being immature and f- making farting noises. Oh, no, in the 76 film, yeah, there's a funny moment where they talk about ruffles. But then De Palma does the little thing where he, like, fast forwards through the conversation. I was like, oh, come on. Oh, I it's hate it. It's the 70s, that. man. It just, it's if the, it, take no. it for what it is. I mean, like, Star Wars has the, like, you know, the panning over shots, and obviously we wouldn't use those in, like... That's Star Wars thing. It repeats it constantly. That whole scene in the, seven, in the 70s film just feels completely out of place to me. It is the most dated thing in the entire movie. And I like how in, in the remake, they're just like, nope, they're trying on tuxes. That's it. That's all we need. It might be dated, but I don't feel like it feels out of touch with oh it totally it, it does feel it goes a little bit too far it just crosses that that line for me it was like oh De Palma could you just arrange yourself in right it just a little bit in that one scene if uh. that's your only complaint about the original the original's still pretty good yeah. I'm not saying the original's not good the original's great that's what I've said this whole time Okay, well, I was hoping we could at least come together on that, but apparently not. This is going to be one of those movies that we just have to agree to disagree on. You're going to make me move it to a D minus if we keep it up. No, peace. No, D plus is... <laughs> no, no, keep your, keep your plus. It's definitely a plus. <laughs> Needs improvement. All right, that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion of Carrie here on Cinema Fix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing The Counselor. That's a drama about a guy in therapy, right? Based on a book by Stephen King. Based on a screenplay <laughs> by Cormac McCarthy, who's an amazing writer. <laughs> Based on a novel by Sapphire. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. Please call and let us know, what did you think of the new carry, and how do you think it compares to the old one? Do you agree with all of us that the old one is better? I don't <laughs> think that's possible. <laughs> or do you, do you agree with me that the new one is not as good as the old one, but still not terrible? Call in and let us know. <laughs> let them on Yeah. Screw you, Andrew. You can also subscribe to this show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our two new podcasts all about TV shows, uh, The Briefing Room, which is all about Homeland, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast, which is all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can listen to me and Andrew surprisingly agreeing with each other on uh, the briefing room most often. So far. So far. <laughs> yeah, it's whenever I guest star on Cinema Fix that I end up uh, in a screaming match with you. But yeah, uh, <laughs> you can uh, listen to me and Andrew discuss Homeland on the briefing room and uh, discuss the eighth season of Dexter on Avenging Angels, also on FilmGeekRadio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H-91. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastymovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at moviemezzanine.com and pathos.com. If you go over to moviemezzanine.com, you can find my positive review of Carrie in case you'd like more from me about what makes that movie Good. You can also follow me on Twitter at WriterAndrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message. Let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castilla. And have fun this week in Hound Cinema and going to the prom. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!